Live from the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy, the only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean Seacrease. We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally to other people's money. And Quaid. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the morning meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. the morning meeting on talk radio 930 wtad sean secret squaid i'm already giggling and i haven't even announced the reboot for the show yet this morning on the morning meeting producer josh is in on it now too mm-hmm. producer josh has been spending too much time with me that's uh, that's not good for him uh, we were together last <laughs> night for the soccer match as he was producing for WTAD.com. Uh-huh. We've been together for a whole bunch of football games this year. And, of course, five days a week for this sure. show. So uh, we're starting to have some effect, I think, on uh, how he approaches things, how he sees things, and uh, <laughs> how he uh, how he – how he vocalizes uh, those things along the way as he's back there chuckling because he knows we're going to try to ride the bull a second time this morning. That's right. View askew. Travis Aiken, executive director of ILaw. We had some issues yesterday. A lot of it was we. Well, there were issues there were in play issues. yesterday. We're not assigning blame. This is <laughs> as liberal as we get on the show. We're not assigning blame. Uh, we're just we're just taking it as they come. Travis had a press conference this morning, and uh, he is going to join us coming up in just about uh, 10 minutes here on the morning meeting. Luckily for him, it wasn't uh, Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Day. It's Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week. week so, so we've this still would got still a window. Timely. Right. Yes, this would, this would still uh, be going on this week. So we'll talk to him because there's some important things going on that we want to get to with Travis uh, this week here on the morning meeting. As we speak, Illinois Comptroller Leslie Munger mm-hmm. is in the park in Quincy at the site of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. She is campaigning, of course, for Comptroller. She's uh, campaigning on a balanced budget which you would hope the comptroller would be in favor of, and on the controversial delayed elected official pay topic. So if it's that important that all these other dollars get spent, she and some in her party, the Republican Party, have talked about it before, that is maybe we need to delay some elected official pay, just like they have elected to delay payment on uh, those who have done business with the state. Mm -hmm. This has been controversial, but it's something that uh, I think think you campaign on it as an ideology, but also to send a message that the taxpayer and those who elect to do business with the state are just as or more important than our elected officials are. So I think it, it sends an ideology message, sure. even if you don't end up delaying elected official pay. I, I understand. I understand. That. And, and it, it's, a, it's a position that strikes a chord with a lot of voters uh, around the state uh, as well. Oh, we'll see how that continues to go for her. Comptroller, never really been a sexy race before, uh, but it has become one of the races that's in the crosshairs in the battle between Governor Bruce Rauner and uh, House Speaker Mike Madigan. Speaking of that battle, Quaid, hmm? Republicans have just set a new record spending almost $2 million in television advertising alone to help one state lawmaker retain his seat They have one Republican in the Chicago, uh, greater Chicago metro area uh, who has an elected official seat and $2 million has been spent in order to help him uh, retain that seat. This is uh, GOP Representative Michael McAulfey. 
He's uh, He's been in the House a couple of decades now. Uh, he's being challenged by Democrat Mary Martwig. She's a political newcomer, left her job at a Chicago software company to take the uh, Democratic nomination. McCulphy, the only Republican legislator in the Chicagoland area, uh, his district, uh, Park Ridge, considered uh, fairly blue-collar conservative. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of police officers, firefighters uh, kind of live in that area, call that home. So this will be an interesting race, but you see that the proxy battle, we've talked about the proxy battle nationally with the VP debate having just happened the other night, but it's going on in the state of Illinois as well, and big dollars are being leveraged. Yeah, this is the, essentially, this is the Madigan-Rauner proxy battle that Mm -hmm. that you're talking about, and Rauner is bringing his own money uh, to this battle, uh, which I think is a uh, a whole new angle and a whole new card for Republicans to play uh, in this state. So, and I, I know you've got a, a thing we're going to get to here in just a minute, mm-hmm. but you you mentioned something that I think is key, and that's Rauner bringing his own money to this battle. If you're in Bruce Rauner's seat, uh, matching denim jacket and jeans on his Harley, not as a governor, but as an individual. You don't have to fight this fight. You've got all the money that you and your family need to to live comfortably, to do charitable works, to be involved in whatever you like. The one line of attack that I'm tired of is that Rauner's trying to buy the state. He doesn't need the state. When you have somebody agree with his politics or not, I agree with the fundamental shift that he's trying to, to move forward in the state of Illinois. I don't agree with him on every little thing. But I agree fundamentally that the state has been broken. And so I think what, what I get tired of is people accusing him or using the fairies. Oh, he's just trying to use his money to buy the state. He doesn't need the state. He actually cares about the future of the state. Why else would he spend all of his own money to do this? This isn't money through fundraisers or anything. Some of it is. But a lot of it is his, his own yeah. private, self-made, capitalist money that he is expending because of his belief in the state. And again, I'm, I am 100% behind the, the fundamental thinking that something is broken in the state of Illinois and it needs a systemic change. Every point on the round or turnaround agenda, no, I don't agree with. But overall, you, you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it's agree with this politics or not, I get tired of that line of thinking that, oh, it's just some rich guy trying to buy a toy. No, he's actually fundamentally concerned as we all should be, about the future of the state, he just has the financial background to go out and and sort of be a one-man funding source in order to do something about it, and he cares enough to spend that money. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic that that I can't remember us experiencing before uh, here in the the land of Lincoln. We'll see if it bears fruit uh, come uh, election day. One of the other stories uh, that uh, has been percolating, how, I, I noticed this story yesterday. It kind of bubbled up here and there on uh, national media. And this morning as I was looking around, it, it, it's kind of been left alone. And maybe that's a good thing. Kankakee County, this is the story. Kankakee County uh, State's Attorney's Office is uh, currently investigating possible voting fraud after the clerk's office reported three complaints from people who said they were offered bribes for votes, uh, Jamie Boyd, this is in a, a news release uh, issued earlier this week. Uh, Jamie Boyd, state's attorney, uh, also said that several vote by mail applications seem to have come from people living outside of uh, Kankakee County. Um, 
So these would be individuals from Chicago offering gifts to potential voters in exchange for a vote. Obviously, this would be uh, out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's it's vote there, buying. Yeah. So uh, this isn't new. I, I think vote buying actually happened one second after the first system in which votes were devised. <laughs> happened. Somebody said, you know what? If you vote the way I want you to, I got cookies. Give you some seashells I got or a cookie, seashells. seashells or some linen. You seashells, yeah, something. I wasn't doing anything with my vote anyway. Give you a goat. Yeah. So uh, Boyd says, uh, "quote Our office takes seriously the obligation to protect the rights of citizens to vote uh, for the candidate of their choice." And to do so without uh, undue influence from special interest groups. Uh, probably good to let the inve- investigation play out yeah. before speculation. But please, this is now on the radar in a season where uh, the integrity of the vote has been called into question more than any other time I can remember uh, in the past as well. We're This is uh, I- interesting times. Coming up this morning on the morning meeting, Travis Aiken and Scott Fawn. We'll get to them in just a moment. Uh, speaking of Illinois, where we started today, Governor Bruce Rauner going back to Facebook Live today, Quade. You sat through some of the last uh, session. This is going to happen as soon as this show's over at 11. Uh, Facebook.com slash GovRauner, G-O-V Rauner. Uh, you can get on there. He did a session back on September 20th. Uh, he talked about, let's see, what the state's 200th birthday. Right. Now, if you remember, we were talking with touch we were talking with Ben about this and we had the idea that this was going to happen. He was going to take questions live. Mm-hmm. Well, after it, all, it is called Facebook, Facebook live. live. Right. So what he did was people sent questions in. They cherry picked them and then he answered them live. He answered them live. <laughs> he was live. The uh-huh. questions weren't live yes. at, at the moment. They were pre-screened. And, and before it went down, we thought this is going to be chaos. Because well, if if I remember the the uh, conversation that you and I had, it was either this is going to be chaos because it's going to be all live, or it's going to be almost worthless because everything will be so sanitized and pre-screened that all you're going to get is essentially a PR release. And they and went with the PR release, right? So so we'll see what they do today. But I'm expecting more of the same. If you want to, we we put the previous one up on the morning meeting Facebook page. Or if you're a fan of the morning meeting on Facebook. Uh, and you didn't see the previous one, go back and, and, and watch. And even just after a few minutes, you'll understand mm-hmm. uh, what we're talking about. And we'll do the same for the one that he's got coming up uh, today as well. Yeah, right at the end of the show. All right, Travis Aiken, Executive Director of ILaw. We saddle up again next on The Morning Meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. This is Mark Levin, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Squade with you. He's a serious man with a serious calling and sometimes a not-so-serious grasp of time, but we've reworked the clock in order to work him in this morning with us on the morning meeting. Travis Aiken, the executive director of Illinois Lawsuit Abuse Watch, and he is with us to talk about Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week. It's a good thing it's a week and not a day, Travis. Welcome back to the morning meeting. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Well, we tried yesterday. We're going to leave that in the past, and we're looking forward to today. Where did where did lawsuit abuse awareness week? Get it start from. We see uh, so many uh, societies, professions pushing for uh, their agenda, but this is something that is really rooted in a, in a, not only a fundamental understanding of abuse that can happen both in the court system and in the legal system, but also something that we should be aware of just on our on our day to day voting interactions as we're coming up on the uh, November election and uh, taking care that we educate ourselves on things other than the presidential race. Uh, how did you celebrate Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week this week? Well, this has been uh, an extremely uh, busy week. Uh, we were in uh, St. Clair and Madison counties on uh, Tuesday. Uh, we did some events in front of each of the courthouses there. Uh, we also met with uh, Gary Graham, the mayor of O'Fallon, uh, who signed a proclamation recognizing Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week. And uh, so th- th- this has been a very uh, long and-, and busy week. I put a lot of miles on, on my vehicle going uh, <clears throat> from, you know, to Grayville, Illinois, uh, to Carmi. I was just in uh, West Frankfort, Illinois this morning, and I'm headed down south now to uh, Vianna, Illinois. So the week continues. Uh, the the this, this Awareness Week is, is an Awareness Week like any other type of, of Awareness Week, and, uh, but the focus of Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week is really on uh, the problems that we have here in Illinois in our courts and provide some solution to residents, uh, to voters, to try to do something about it. And uh, the first week of October, every year, the first full week of October, and there are other states across the country that are recognizing Lawsuit Abuse Awareness this uh, Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week this week. Uh, California, Texas, Louisiana, West Virginia. So it's kind of a national uh, thing. If you go to the Sicko Lawsuits website, uh, Facebook page, uh, they will chronicle some of the other activities, not just in Illinois, uh, but but across the country. And it's really an opportunity to shine a spotlight on the abuse of our courts and, and to get people to think about uh, what we need to do to change it. And this year, being an election year, our focus is on the importance of judicial elections. We're trying to, to uh, shine a spotlight on these all-important down-ballot races that uh, too often uh, voters don't uh, really think too too much about. And so we're trying to get people to take these uh, elections a little bit more seriously and to recognize kind of what, what's fueling um, a lot of the campaign dollars that we see in these judicial elections. We, we see a lot of personal injury law, law firms, particularly in the Madison and St. Clair counties, funding these judicial elections. And it's a, it's a never-ending cycle. They, they uh, put money in, they get money from uh, uh, judgments and settlements, and they use that money to put money into campaigns to elect uh, favorable judges who then give them more favorable judgments and settlements. And it's a it's a never ending cycle. We're we're trying to break that cycle by uh, exposing uh, what's going on, particularly in those troublesome jurisdictions. Travis Aiken with us this morning on the morning meeting. So you you kick off lawsuit abuse awareness week by going to the heart of the judicial hellholes in St. Clair in Madison County. You're on the steps of the courthouse in Edwardsville. How was that received there? <laughs> Uh, we get a lot of uh, angry stares. We we see people uh, peeking out of the courthouse, uh, pulling the blinds, uh, giving giving us uh, the the uh, the evil eye. 
from from up above. Uh, but we also get a lot of positive reaction too. I mean, we've had people. Uh, we we stopped people. We were handing out um, just some informational uh, materials about the importance of of good uh, judges and the importance of judicial elections. Uh, nonpartisan, uh, just educational, informational type information and. Uh, the response I got from the people uh, that I talked to was, was was really positive. They appreciated that we were out there. They they uh, committed to, to taking a look at the, the material that we were giving them. We had a group of volunteers also handing out literature. So the people on the street, they understand what's going on. They understand the problems that exist in those courthouses. Uh, the people in the courthouses, unfortunately, not so much. You mentioned earlier that the uh, mayor of O'Fallon was on board, uh, the mayor of Godfrey, uh, Mike McCormick, is uh, also uh, on board. What about uh, Hal Patton, who's uh, mayor of Edwardsville? Is is he on board with uh, Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week, too? Uh, I, I have uh, sent him some information in, in, in the past. Uh, I did not do, do so this year. Uh, he He's... Uh, I, you know, I, th- I think he understands and appreciates what what we're trying to do, uh, but uh, you know, he's he's got he's got a job to do there, and <laughs> uh, it's a tough job. And so, uh, you know, he, he's not interested in in taking making unnecessary uh, en- enemies. I I, <laughs> I would say so, uh, but I, I think you know he's with us in, uh, definitely in spirit. Travis Aiken, Executive Director of ILAW, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. You mentioned the dichotomy that you experienced at the courthouse there in uh, St. Clair County. What's the feeling throughout the legal profession across the state of Illinois? You, you have judges, you have attorneys, both are part of the legal system in this country. Uh, not everyone is going to have the same opinion, but by and large, is, is this a feeling that you're curtailing an opportunity, or is it that you're trying to stop an abuse in the system? Well, I I think that it, it, it's um, it, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I think people understand that we're trying to stop the the abuses, uh, but they also understand uh, that you, you, we we have courts here for a reason. Uh, I think a lot of times people mischaracterize what we do and try to say that we're uh, putting you know we're we're closing the door to the court that we're we're uh, not allowing access to, to the courts, and, and that is that is not the case at all. Uh, I, I would argue that well, by by fighting abuse, the abuse of our courts, uh, we are opening up more access to the courts because people who have legitimate cases, um, it's it's in their best interest to uh, have these cases decided as quickly as possible and not have to worry about uh, situations where they. Uh, these cases keep dragging on and on and on and on. I'll give you an example, and I think I've used this example before. Um, I was talking to a, a woman who's in the middle of a very nasty uh, civil case involving a, a, a divorce. Uh, it's a child custody case. This case has been going on for more than five years in Madison County, and she resents the fact that, that all the time we see these asbestos cases moving in and out uh, thousands of cases moving in and out of, of Madison County. Twenty-nine percent of the uh, nation's asbestos litigation is filed in, in that one county, Madison County. And people go there; they they get paid, they get uh, these these cases settled, and 
uh, it's just a revolving door of case after case after case there in that docket. And she resents the fact that she, you know, she's told me, she said, look, we have these million-dollar cases coming through here. I can't get the justice that I need. I can't get the custody uh, decision made that I need uh, so I can move on with my life. And she's, she's upset. So I think what we're trying to do is create more access for people who need justice, who need the court. And uh, I, I think we're doing both things. We're fighting abuse, but we're also opening up and trying to create more access for legitimate cases. Travis Aiken with us this morning on the morning meeting. Travis, you mentioned earlier that you had uh, people helping out with uh, I-Law, handing out literature. The the Alton Telegraph called that literature voter guides. Is there anywhere uh, that our listeners can go and look at these online? Uh, yeah, I, I'll post some. Uh, I'll post a PDF of it later today on my face uh, Facebook page. Uh, you just look up Illinois Lawsuit Abuse Watch, okay. or you can go to our website www.illawsuitabusewatch.org and get a link to our Facebook page there. Uh, but just search for Illinois Lawsuit Abuse Watch on Facebook, and uh, I'll put that. I'll put a copy of that up uh, later today. That's a good idea. Cool. Travis Aiken, Executive Director of ILA, our guest this morning on the morning meeting, Lawsuit Abuse Awareness Week, all week this week. You can check out more at uh, ILaw.com as well. Travis, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I know you were very busy this morning. We appreciate you carving out the time. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, let's not uh, let's not repeat yesterday. So, <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for for uh, the confusion there, and <laughs> was, uh, that's fine. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> that, that's fine. You know, you do a show like this, you got to have a memory like a football cornerback. That was last play. You're not <laughs> going to get past me this time around. Travis Aiken, Executive Director of ILaw, our guest this morning on the meeting. Thank you so much, Travis. Scott Fawn, Missouri Times, joins us next on the morning meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD. Morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrease, Quaid. No, I'm not searching for Ascot. I'm just searching for Scott. Uh, Scott Fawn, Missouri Times, just about to join us, I uh, believe, here this morning uh, on the morning meeting. So many things that uh, we've uh, we've been sort of waiting to get to. Everything from the rape allegations in the Democratic race in St. Louis to the calls of the Fourth Amendment uh, issue, Amendment 4 taking the spotlight. And now, after one debate between Coster and Greitens, Coster's saying he's out because Greitens hasn't released all his tax return records. He's out as far as the debates go. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. You've also got uh, a St. Louis alderman inserting himself uh, in the attorney general's race. Uh, in Missouri between uh, with, uh, well, specifically with Josh Hawley and uh, Teresa Hensley. So we want to talk with uh, Scott Fawn about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
on the show today as soon as we get Scott. So, yeah, plenty of things going on. Show me why. And I'm sure Scott's got some things that we haven't even uh, touched on. And you can be up to speed on that if you're not aware, themissouritimes.com. Yeah, I just want to go over Amendment 4 real quickly. This will save us some time when we get Scott on the line with us. Amendment 4 is a ballot measure in Missouri, which they're trying to preemptively ban sales taxes on service-related industries. So this is this yeah. is essentially uh, a, a pre a pre banning of sales taxes on service related injuries the, uh, industries the way that breaks down. Scott Fawn, Missouri Times, with us now this morning on the morning meeting. Scott, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Always thrilled to be on with you guys. How how's it going today? It's it's excellent. I've been holding on to something since the weekend that I've been looking forward to talking to you about, and that is the explosive rape allegation that came out of St. Louis over the weekend. Uh, Cora Walker told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which broke the story over the weekend, that she's claiming she was sexually assaulted by Stephen Roberts Jr., a former assistant prosecutor. These are two Missouri er- or two St. Louis area Democrats who are running unopposed in their race to join the Missouri legislature. This has made just waves in Jefferson City. Uh, Others have repeated allegations and drawn uh, the ire from party leaders over this. This has to be something that just came out of nowhere. I got to say that the first part of that is that, you know, a supermajority very seldom makes for great laws. And the Democrats are a supermajority in Missouri and the state house for sure. They're down to about 40 these were two articulate, talented young legislators coming into the process, mm-hmm. and this is a—it's a personal tragedy. It's a tragedy for the state. I mean, these are two of the top freshmen that were coming into the legislature, and you know, it's—it's it's, you know, first off, there's a there's a personal tragedy. I think it's always fair to say he has completely denied it. Um, she claims that they went over to his house uh, late one evening, about a month ago, or a little more, and that. While she was there, she believed she was drugged, and, and then she says she was raped. Uh, he, he says they've been having a consensual relationship for some time now, and this was part of that. Um, you know, it, 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 the part of this where I think it, it, co- it, it correlates with politics is, yes, these are two folks that are high profile since they've won their primaries and were headed to the state house. I, I've scratched my head a little bit, and I think a lot of people have, as far as some of the more liberal editorial pages in Kansas City and St. Louis have tried to tie this to Jeff City, but I think it is fair to note that, you know, I understand the liberals want to blame the Republican majority in Jeff City for rain, for the Cardinals missing the playoffs, for (laughs) any number of things, but you have two people that never lived in Jeff City, never worked in Jeff City, aren't members of the majority party, and, and a tragedy that happened 130 miles from Jeff City I'm sorry, I don't think this tells much about Jeff City any more than it does Quincy, Illinois, or, or New Madrid, Missouri. I just don't, I don't see the correlation there to anything to do with the state capitol. It's certainly seen some trying times lately, but I'm not sure how you, you have to do a lot of jumping to make this somehow about Jefferson City. And so where I think this leads, as you saw, the, the, the Speaker of the House basically said, look, I don't have any jurisdiction over people that aren't elected members of the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. If this is still a controversy in January, we'll deal with it. The Democrats pretty much said he should step away. I mean, their, their statement was more forceful. So if I had to guess what happens here is the police are investigating it. They have 90 days to before session starts. If he's charged with, if he's charged with this crime, my assumption is he doesn't take his seat. 
if he's not charged with a crime, I, I don't know what keeps him from going and serving any more than if you were charged with a you were had an allegation and there was found to be no criminal activity they could prosecute. I mean, there is an innocent until proven guilty. And a lot of the same liberals that make that case for other people are not making that case for Stephen Roberts. Now, whether he did it or not, I don't have any idea. But I think he does deserve some degree of being innocent until proven guilty, just like if it was one of our children or us. But um, it's an interesting case. I mean, you've seen a lot of the Democrat insiders very quick to throw him aside. And from a practical standpoint, if he is charged with a crime, in, in the Missouri House, you have to have 82 votes. So it really doesn't matter if you don't vote or if you vote no. You have to have 82 yeses to, to make a bill uh, move through the chamber. So if he takes, if this takes into February or March for him to, if he is cleared, then the practical difference on the Missouri House is very minimal. If he steps away now, I think they could reappoint someone before January. But from what I'm getting, he's going to fight this. He has the, probably the top defense attorney in, in St. Louis, in Scott Rosenblum, and my, my sense is if the determination will be made by the St. Charles County prosecutor, um, if that prosecutor decides to file a charge of rape, Stephen Roberts does not come in and get sworn in until it's cleared up and probably doesn't come to Jefferson City at all. If he's not charged, it's an interesting thing. Do you truly treat someone as still proven guilty? Do you, what do you do? And I'm not, I think reasonable people could come to very different conclusions on it. Scott Fawn, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Yeah, you, you, as you were answering and filling in the details, you were covering all the questions uh, that I that I had there, Scott. So I'll I'll shift and uh, ask you about uh, Alderman Scott Ogilvy, who has uh, decided that he wants an investigation uh, over uh, Josh Hawley's campaign over some uh, uh, money that was theoretically brought through the uh, Republican Attorneys General. Association is this just a, a a something to make noise because maybe a, a proper channel or something to get get check marked right or is there something more to this is it not just politics? Uh, you know, I was one that said that I thought that people should scrutinize Josh Hawley's use of a not for profit to raise his awareness for a campaign beforehand in the primary. This I will defend Josh Hawley on. However, they ran the money to it. I mean, the, the bottom line is in Missouri, you could pretty much take any money anytime, anywhere. Um, it's, there's, there's no real limits. And even if there are limits, the federal system is so screwed up that if you run the money through the federal system, it, it's like Eric Wright. He took a $2 million contribution from a source, and we'll never know who it was from. It could have been from Mother Teresa. It could have been from, you know, the, the Shah of Iran. You'll never know. Uh, in this case, this money is very hard to track, and we'll probably never know who gave it. But I don't think I think these are technicalities on on the situation. It, there are people that have a reasonable complaint that you shouldn't be able to take unlimited contributions. I get that. I think a reasonable person could come to that conclusion. A reasonable person could argue, why should the government tell you how much money you can spend, or that your private money? Um, it's a, it's an issue right now that the state has decided not to have limits on it. We'll see what happens actually pragmatically going forward, but I think this is about campaign politics and to get people like us to talk about it. 
Scott Fawn, our guest this morning of the Missouri Times. Scott, first debate between gubernatorial hopefuls Eric Reitens and Chris Coster uh, last Friday. Since then, there have been some interesting goings-on. Greitens now faces, uh, according to one poll, about a 15-16 point deficit. And Coster has made the decision to suspend negotiations to form a second debate over lack of tax return info from Greitens. There seems like there was more fallout after the debate than maybe we got during that debate last Friday afternoon. Look, I, I think you, you've been a part of debates. I've been a part of debates. To think that an undecided voter would get on a live stream of Missouri Net and watch a webcast of a debate at 2 in the afternoon on a Friday or whatever – I, I'm sorry, I don't believe that happens. Um, we all pay attention to politics every day and talk about it. I've talked to several people in the media that didn't watch it. Um, I think what you're seeing here is two things. We have a new poll that came out showing that the margin's been cut to three. And I think that the margin of Coster's lead, that is, and I would attribute that to a couple things. One, anybody that thought this would end up a 16-point race is naive. Two, Eric Grides has done a great job like he did in the primary. He runs and he's a very good campaigner. Uh, he's done a lot of work to take advantage of some natural advantages a Republican has. And I think the biggest reason this race is tightening is Mike Pence. Our poll was done during the, during the debate. And during the debate, before the debate from 6 to 7, the calls we made, uh, Coster was up 8 or 9. As the debate began, Coster's lead shrank to nothing. As the debate was in full flower, Coster uh, lost a lead and Greitens developed a lead. Mike Pence is everything every Midwesterner wants to see in a leader. Calm, conservative, gray-headed, Midwestern. He could run for emperor of Missouri and win by a lot. <laughs> now, how long does that last? How long do people think about the vice president? I doubt very long. I don't think history shows that that makes a big difference. But in that, there are – the way Chris Koster loses this race is – there's a few ways that Eric Grimes can win, but the top way is Hillary Clinton – is so unpopular and so toxic in the state of Missouri that any time, and you could see the Missouri Republican Party now trying to tie Coster to her, everybody gets it. It's If you can be just like Democrats have lost throughout the country being tied to Obama, if you could tie him to Hillary, he could lose. And on the tax thing, I, you know, here's the thing. You have a very experienced uh, person in government, Chris Coster. He kind of worked a new guy in Eric Greitens. He got, Eric, he got Eric Greitens to demand that Chris release his tax returns. He, the press played part of Greitens' game, and Greitens said, I'll release mine if you release yours. Well, of course, Chris Cotter the next day released his. Now Eric Greitens is saying he won't. So I think what the game is is there are people who believe that Eric Greitens was making hundreds of thousands of dollars giving motivational speeches, which that's what he does for a living now is give motivational talks, lucrative business. I think that people believe that he was taking a six-figure salary from the charity while giving these motivational speeches for incredible profits, talking about the charity, but Greitens was keeping both incomes, which I think to some people will make his charitable work look less charitable if he was giving speeches talking about his charitable work and taking a huge salary for it. I, I think that there, that'll be something the Greitens campaign doesn't want to confront. So. If that is the case, we'll probably never see those tax returns. If it's not the case, I assume Eric Greitens realizes there's some damage being done to him, and he steps up and releases them. Uh, if I had to bet, I would bet you don't get a press release in the next 30 days with his tax returns. Scott Fawn, our guest this and morning on the morning meeting. And I bet Chris does one more debate. 
Scott Fawn, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Scott, I want to go back to one thing that you said about Mike Pence. Gray-headed. Missouri still wants, uh, not an elderly, but they're still making that visual association with wisdom and experience. Is it, is it your feeling they don't want a younger leader, that they're just uh, intrinsically associating that, that gray-haired look with experience? What is it? Because everything else I agreed with, but you said gray-headed, and I right away thought, Okay, is that is that something that's ingrained in us, or is that just shallow? I think it's something that's ingrained in us. I think we look at an older person as having more experience and being wiser. Look, Midwesterners are different. Plus, we just had a president that came in very young, and unless you are a socialist, I think you think he's probably not been a very good president. I mean, I don't think many people have succeeded under some of the socialist policies he's strapped us and our kids with. Um, and he came in with a whole youthful, going to turn things around, I just think if you're a Missourian, you like a person that's conservative, that's calm, that's a Midwesterner. He talks like a Midwesterner. He looks like a very dignified gentleman. He was very. When you had a guy that, that the other guy was sort of acting like the nerd in the class that was reminding the teacher about the pop quiz she forgot. Mike Pence looked like the calm Midwestern leader that he, that he frankly is. And if there was ever a group of people that Mike Pence was going to appeal to, besides people in Indiana, it was going to be people in Missouri. And some of this stuff we have to speculate about. I have data from the Remington Research Group that will show you that the longer Mike Pence was on TV, the more popular Donald Trump got. And, mm-hmm. and conversely, the more popular Eric Greitens got in the state of Missouri. Scott Fawn, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. We were laying out the uh, basis for the Amendment 4 issue that Missouri is going to have on the ballot coming up in November as we were bringing you on to the show. Uh, your research, is this going to pass? Is this going to fail? This is the one that would preemptively stop sales taxes on the service industry. Hey, I think nobody knows yet. I mean, that you, you, you even look, I think it's like a down-ballot race, right? I think that you have to have both sides having some media up before you know who's gonna, what, what, what's going to happen with the race. So in, it's my view that no one knows. What, if, you, if we went to a coffee shop and asked us what Amendment 4 is, there are very few people would know. There's got, I think Missourians have a reflective ability to vote no on things, but this is preemptively eliminating a tax. So that should bode well, especially to the, the electorate that we think will show up probably is a pretty – not one more dime of taxes electorate, Donald Trump electorate. Um, if they can make that connection to those Trump supporters, I mean, I think this has a chance to pass, but I think it's going to have to be educated. And I, this is my prediction is if they do a bunch of educating on this, that's about what it actually does. It probably doesn't pass. If they say, if you vote for this, they don't get one more dime to, to waste in government. It's got a real shot. So uh, I think we have to see what they're, what their media tech is and what the opponents are. I mean, the opponents are basically saying, we might tax you for this later. It's a nuanced argument, and in Missouri it's tough. Um, so it, it's a complicated amendment. We'll see what happens with it. But I'm, a lot of folks are throwing dirt on it already. I'm, I'm willing to wait another week or two and see what the media looks like on it. Are people throwing dirt on it because of the way it's worded on the ballot, Scott? Uh, well, you can, you know who does that. It's Jason Kander. And if I had to guess, I would say Jason Kander does not want to limit the ways the government can tax Missourians. Um, I it is, first of all, it's a complicated thing and it would have been hard to write a simple ballot measure out of a complicated, uh, question, mm-hmm. but I don't know that the secretary of state's office really spent the midnight oil making sure that this was, uh, this was easy to, uh, understand. 
Scott Fawn, Missouri Times, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. He forms our Missouri tag team duo with Aaron Baker. Scott, thank you so much for coming on this morning and uh, helping us through these Missouri issues. Thanks for the time. We look forward to talking to you Thanks, again. Scott. Always proud to be the lightweight in the tag team with Aaron Baker. <laughs> Scott Fawn, Missouri Times. We wrap it up next on the morning meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Just a couple minutes left on The Morning Meeting this morning. Quaid, update. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, police... Uh, St. Louis Police County uh, officer shot and killed uh, early this morning, just after uh, five, uh, responding to a, a disturbance call, a guy banging on doors in a particular neighborhood, uh, South County, uh, demanding to be let in. Uh, when he arrived, officers saw the person in a car. They couldn't see his hands, said, show me your hands, and he uh, shot the officer. Officer uh, is now uh, dead. I'm sure this has been updated since mm-hmm. the uh, show has started. I'm, I'm looking at uh, stltoday.com right now to uh, get more of those details. I'm sure Fox News will have more on it at the top of the hour. And uh, coming up uh, in local news, uh, Scott Hardy from the WTAD Newsroom was at the Leslie Munger uh, mm-hmm. press event over in Washington Park this morning. He'll have the latest on that. Meanwhile, get ready. Get your grease paint out. Clown Lives Matter. He's about to march. Professional clowns are getting fed up with recent reports of frightening incidents across the U.S. that have put many communities on, quote, high alert and tarnished the image of clowns. The clown community in Tucson, Arizona, will march on Wednesday in Clown Lives Matter. I can't wait for the counter protest to Clown Lives Matter. <laughs> Where are we as, as a reality right now? <laughs> what is going on? On Governor Bruce Browder going to start his Facebook Live coming up in just a couple moments. We'll have the uh, link from the WTAD yeah. Facebook page tomorrow on the morning meeting. An early session with the embarrassed Craig Robinson. Embarrassed? Af- after Iowa stumbled again over the weekend. And we'll be joined by a uh, candidate for Missouri State Treasurer, Eric Schmidt, will be in the studio uh, with us this mar- uh, tomorrow as well. So, Quade and I both have to remember to wear pants. Hurricane Matthew has officials in South Carolina and other southern states preparing for evacuations. But Waffle House says they will stay and serve those who stay behind. Waffle House is uh, so renowned for its emergency routine that FEMA... FEMA unofficially uses Waffle House's status as an indicator of the severity of natural disasters. There you go. You get that as a side Mm. with your waffles, which sound delicious this morning. That's going to do it for us. More morning meeting coming up tomorrow here on WTAD. Morning meeting adjourned. Join us again tomorrow for the best talk in the Tri-States. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. I'm Jim.